was angry with his brother, so their mother reminded him that the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Well, how are we supposed to stop the sun, was his reply. And since that is the way most of us have felt at one time or another, we can be thankful that Peter asks his remarkable question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Why seven? Perhaps he remembered another saying of Jesus recorded in Luke 17, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. There are other parallel sayings to Matthew 18 and Luke 17, so Peter may be reacting to a part of conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples. But something else may be going on also. There are two other possible motives that Peter may have had. First, he feels Jesus is making too much of a demand on his followers by his lifestyle. This consorting with low lives that Jesus was constantly doing, although initially it's attractive, was probably wearing pretty thin. After all, didn't Jesus support morality? And so there has to be a point at which you call a halt to all of this forgiving business, or you're just the first century equivalent of an enabler. Oh, there you are, dragging yourself home drunk again, and ever so sorry when you have a crying jag on, but next week it's going to be exactly the same thing again. Or secondly, Peter thought that he was being generous by offering to forgive seven times. The rabbis would only permit three times. Rabbi Yossi ben Yehuda said, if a man commits an offense once, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a second time, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, they forgive him. The fourth time, they do not forgive. This they derived from the opening chapters of the prophet Amos, somehow. Generous Peter takes the rabbinic figure three, doubles it, and throws in one more for good measure. The net result, in any case, is trying to sanction a limit for love. There are some other reasons we might be interested in Peter's question. There's an underlying comfort in legalism. I've done enough, and more than enough, and now it's time for sweet revenge. You can even find sanction for this if you want to in some of the Psalms. Here's an example from Psalm 109. It's a prayer to God about the enemy. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. And when he's tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. 
May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. That's awful. Can you imagine a Christian going on like that? I hope not. And yet, sometimes people do. We want to know when we can finally really let go and let them have it. A woman had her portrait taken by a professional photographer, and for the occasion, she purchased an extremely large rhinestone necklace matched by obviously large rings. And after the photography session, she asked the photographer to please touch up the jewelry, make it really sparkle so that it looks like the jewelry might be worth over $100,000. Make sure it looks expensive. You see, she explained, I'm getting a divorce from my husband, and I plan to send this photograph to that cute young thing he's planning to marry. And when she sees this, she'll think it's from him and make the rest of his life a living hell. Think of the divorce rate. Think of the fact that many couples are still angry 10 years later. That statistic holds true for 41% of remarried women who are still bitter at their first husband 10 years later. And 31% of the men feel the same way. Maybe they don't just own up as easily as the women do. So we have a tremendous interest in Peter's question. How often should I forgive? Peter thought he was being generous. Jesus tells him God's standard has no calculable limits. Forgive 70 times seven times. And then to make the point, Jesus goes on to tell what St. Augustine called, quote, a parable very full of terror. A man owes his master a huge debt. It's always difficult translating ancient units of money or measure into modern equivalents, but suffice it to say that the debt owed in this story is 10 times the yearly tax revenue produced by the entire land of Israel in Jesus's day. Upon his pleas for mercy, the servant is forgiven this enormous debt by his master. But then he goes out and he begins dunning a fellow servant for an amount that is owed equivalent to three months wages for a working man. The onlookers are appalled. And so they report the matter to the master. He calls in the ungrateful servant to point out his hypocrisy prior to sending him packing to prison. Actually, the text does not say jailers, it says torturers. It is, of course, a parable for us. We, like the man in the parable, are caught in the middle. We are related both to God and to others. God has given us everything we have, 
and what have we done? Eyes and what have we looked at with them? Ears and what have we listened to? Hands and what have we used them to do? God wants all of these back in the same condition given, or better if we follow another of Jesus' parables, that of the talents. And so it is that we are called to account. We need to consider what standing before him would really mean. No one who takes God seriously would want to do it. We would feel like sinking into the ground. But, but then God says something astonishing. The debt is forgiven. The logical thing for him to do, dare we say the right thing, according to law and justice, for him to do, wouldn't to be to act like the servant in the story, to exact the last penny. But he doesn't. He forgives. He says, you are my child again. Not because forgiving is his business as some sort of cosmic enabler. The enormous cost of the debt to the divine economy is still there. It doesn't simply evaporate into thin air. He assumes the loss himself. And that, of course, is what the cross of Christ is all about. It is not that God gives up reckoning and responsibility, as the ending of the parable points out but that he is forgiving as it advances the purposes of his kingdom. The reformation of reprobates by the dismissal of their debt and the remaking of the merciless after the image of his son Jesus. And so the master forgives the servant. Our God forgives us. What must this servant's frame of mind been when he left the master? He left richer than he had ever been in the joy and relief of what was better than any tax amnesty. But then the story takes that appalling turn when he refuses to forgive his fellow servant. We are unable or unwilling to forgive others and in the process even call God into account. How can God permit someone to do such a thing to me? And now I have to forgive him too? It reveals how deeply rooted is our anti-God state of mind. This is why Jesus singles out the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer for special comment. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then after the prayer, he adds, for if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you yours. It is not that we earn forgiveness by our willingness to forgive others. It's that in our willingness to forgive, we show that we think like God that we have his attitude toward others. In short, that we have faith. The single precondition for forgiveness that still applies, the faith that comes from having been forgiven enormously ourselves. 
Back in the Cold War, in the early days of the infamous Berlin Wall, hostilities flared when truckloads of stinking garbage were dumped from East Berlin into West Berlin. One way to handle your strikes, I suppose. Many residents wrote to the mayor demanding revenge for this offense, but he responded in a unique way. He asked the people of Berlin to gather all the flowers in West Berlin and bring them to a certain place at the wall. And then as a great avalanche of beautiful and fragrant flowers was poured over the wall from west to east, a large banner was raised and written on the banner were the words, we each give what we have. That is not a little passive aggressive, I admit. If we have forgiveness, we ought to be able to forgive. Yeah, I suppose there was a little bit of revenge in the mayor's motives. But the truth remains, we each give from what we have. Forgiveness as we have been forgiven. So forgiving others should never be a matter of forcing ourselves. When a person is weary of forgiving, he hasn't yet taken God's forgiveness. Forgiving others is a matter of our eyes turning to look at the cross and then to look at the neighbor who, in Luther's words, would become a Christ to you. A young soldier was utterly humiliated by his senior officer. The officer had gone beyond the bounds of acceptable behavior in disciplining the young soldier and knew it. So he said nothing as the younger man said through clenched teeth, I'll make you regret this if it's the last thing I ever do. A few days later, their company was under heavy fire and the officer was wounded and cut off from his troops. Through the haze of the battlefield, he saw a figure coming to his rescue. It was the young soldier. At the risk of his own life, the young soldier dragged the officer to safety, and the officer said apologetically, Son, I owe my life to you. The young man laughed and said, I told you that I would make you regret humiliating me if it was the last thing I ever did. That is God's kind of revenge. Behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Something happened on the cross that bridged the gap between a holy God and unholy humanity. We see Christ in his majesty, but also in his mercy extended to us. Don't you feel your hand in the hand of God? But what is your other hand doing? Is it a clenched fist? Or is it stretched out to complete the circuit, the holy energy of God's grace and empowering forgiveness? Is there someone out there who needs to hear from you? If so, God grant you the grace to be so gracious to them. Amen.
And may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.